Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey everybody, Tom Salemi here. Normally your introduction guy, but I'm also going to be your host guy because my compadre Steve Krupp of the Silos Group the host of the Breaking Health Podcast, is uh, unable to join us today. He's got some pressing business on the West Coast, and, uh, well, he had to tend to that before tending to this. So you've just got me. Big disappointment, I know, but uh, we'll all get through this national nightmare. Today, uh, Steve will speak with Robin Heffernan. She is the CEO and founder of a cool company called Circulation, which is working with Uber to uh, improve the transportation system between uh, a patient and healthcare facility, rather than rely upon some of the more institutional types of transportation. Uh, circulation is helping Uber intersect or, or work with um, providers and insurers and, uh, and physicians and hospitals, of course, to get patients to the doctor's office more efficiently. So it's a really a cool approach. It's kind of using an off-the-shelf system or company to improve healthcare, and uh, Robert Heffernan's a, a great interview. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Robin Heffernan of Circulation. Also, while I have your attention, we will be putting out content from the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which took place on November 2nd in Boston. If you have interest in uh, receiving the panel presentations or the videos of the panel presentations, shoot me an email, tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Just let me know you'd like to uh, receive the links to the uh, videos of the panel presentations in case, in case you weren't able to attend. We do send those out to, uh, to the attendees. So thanks again for listening to this Breaking Health podcast and enjoy the conversation with Robin Heffernan of Circulation. Welcome to the Breaking Health podcast. I'm here with Robin Heffernan, the CEO of Circulation. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks so much, Steve. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I uh, I uh, caught you. Uh, very near to some recent venture financing for your company, uh, and you're doing a lot of interesting things uh, along uh, medical transportation and so forth. But I, before we get into the the guts of the company, um, I want to learn a little bit about um, how you got started in the business and what prompted you to do the insane, which is start your own company. So, so what, what got you to do this? Yeah, good question. So I am a chemical engineer by training. Oh, came well, out I'm mechanical, so we're buddies right there. We're oh. friends. <laughs> there you go. I, I took that and put it to good use, went straight to uh, Boston Consulting Group, where I did healthcare consulting for payers and providers uh, for about three years. That was really interesting. That was during the time when Humana and some others were trying to figure out how do they play Medicare Advantage uh, and do that successfully, which was great. I got introduced to the venture community um, from a side friend, found that really interesting, got uh, hooked up with Flybridge Venture Capital in Boston, Massachusetts, and helped them for a couple of years, do early stage investing um, in both healthcare and a little bit of clean tech when we were doing that. 
That was great. Uh, started two companies, actually incubated them, and then funded them through Flybridge, uh, one of which was Predalytics, doing some predictive risk analysis for Medicare Advantage members that just recently sold to WellTalk. Um, and then I met my now co-founder, John Brownstein, at Boston Children's Hospital. Uh, they had some interesting assets around population health and how do you look at social media and news media and get some early signals into things like disease outbreaks and drug safety events and supply chain contamination. So we licensed that technology out of children's and uh, figured Flybridge would just invest uh, and we would continue moving. But actually the company won a bunch of large government grants and so they didn't need financing, they need somebody to run it. So I flipped over uh, and played COO and then CEO for that company. We grew the business Epidemico for two years, sold it to Booz Allen Hamilton in 2014, um, have since then figured out how to integrate within the large company um, and keep the momentum of the business moving. But John and I also realized we want to do something creative again. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when, from a couple of different lenses, circulation was really born. And one of those was we were working with Uber at Epidemico and helping them think through how do you get into health um, and how can on-demand transportation really transform some health experiences. We started doing an annual flu campaign with them where we would put nurses in Uber vehicles for a day and allow people to request the flu vaccine on demand. It was wildly successful. We just completed the third year of that campaign. Um, and it really opened our eyes to there's some major behavior shifting um, that can go on when you bring on-demand transportation into healthcare where it, where it doesn't traditionally lie. Right. And at the same time, I was doing a lot of work with payer organizations, uh, both in Boston and nationally, and helping them think through how do you deal with your largest issues, both from a cost perspective um, and from you know, patient access and patient quality. And, it, and it's interesting, they get bombarded every day with new devices and gadgets and telemedicine and, and some really amazing technologies, but they they had a fundamental problem of just how do we move people around more efficiently? <laughs> how do we move patients to and from their appointments? How do we move providers out to nursing homes or to people's homes to deliver services? Um, and what exists traditionally in this space is some third-party brokers where you have to schedule these rides two to three days in advance. Right. These ride, you, someone may get a pickup window of two to three hours. It's like, you know, thinking about your cable installation. You're just expected to wait around all day. Um, and then that's sort of coupled with, there's it's a pretty low quality of ride uh, that ultimately gets delivered. And a lot of times patients get stranded and they miss their appointments or they sit in a hospital bed for hours when they just want to get home and they want to begin their recovery. Right. So we thought there's a, there's a huge opportunity to bring modern transportation to healthcare, um, and specifically to do that in the sector of non-acute or non-emergency healthcare transportation. And thus we created circulation. Awesome. 
Awesome. And you're, and you're working specifically with Uber on this project? We are. So uh, our relationship with Uber is as their preferred healthcare platform integrator, mm-hmm. um, which is a fancy way to say that we do a lot of things on our side to connect health systems. Uh, with the Uber platform, we integrate directly with Uber, um, and so we have access to all of their various services, um, whether that's their categories of rides, as well as some of their other categories, uh, which start to get into moving food uh, or moving medical products. So it's and it's been it's been great with them. They, you know, we've we've now had a relationship with them for over three years. Um, and they're very thoughtful about how they get into new markets. Right. And I think they've recognized they are really good at rides and ride logistics and recruiting drivers and, you know, figuring out the right categories to match demand in an area. Um, but some of the, the other sophistication that goes on in the healthcare space is not their wheelhouse, um, and right. that's where we've had a very synergistic relationship with them, right? So how do you make sure that you, know, you maintain patient privacy uh, as this information is flowing? How do you connect with various scheduling systems at a hospital uh, or other clinical facilities so, so that booking this ride is really easy for the site coordinator or transportation coordinator? How do you deal with things like authorization, Right. right. If, if someone is a member of a variety of different health plans um, and and then, you know, the, the ride needs to get booked, it needs to be managed. And then on the back end, there's a whole host of complication around reimbursement, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> it, it, healthcare is one of those unique spaces yeah. where the person who's consuming the service is not often the person who's actually paying for that service. Yeah, so so we have this nice match where we sort of wrap around the Uber categories and and we allow them to do what they're good at, which is deliver more rides, deliver more packages, deliver, you know, meals on wheels. Um and and do that in the space of healthcare and be mindful of everything that healthcare entails. Very cool. The the um the first thing that comes to mind when I think about uh this idea is um, I'm imagining that your a challenge is trying to figure out um, one what type of patient would qualify for this type of transportation, which it sounds like there's an industry already service servicing that need, right? And then the second piece is how do you make your make known that your services are, are available? So maybe you can start with with the first of those questions. What type of patient are you typically servicing? Yeah, and this is a good question. So traditionally, this space has been all Medicaid rides. Right. So individuals who qualify for Medicaid have transportation as a covered benefit, and thus, you know, that they can use these services. What we found is we can vastly open that aperture. Mm-hmm. There is appetite for hospitals to pay for patients' rides not just patients who are Medicaid, those who may be Medicare Advantage, those who may be commercially insured, um, but, but really everybody. Likewise, we've seen demand from a number of other uh, instances, whether that's pharmaceutical companies or CROs who want to help patients get to and from their clinical trial appointments, whether that's home health agencies 
who need a new option in terms of how do we get nurses out to people's homes to deliver service? How do we think about getting patients to and from dialysis appointments, cancer treatments, HIV treatments? Uh, and then there's some very large health systems, as you know, where they are responsible for everything for the members. Yeah. So they need to take care of the medical appointments, the behavioral health appointments, the social services, and all of the transportation that is entailed um, to get people to and from those places. So, so we've seen it all. Um, and actually, after our press release at the end of September, there was a flood of interest hmm. from all of these different categories. Yeah, it's, it's been great. And, and, and you're, you would be, you know, so to me, the Uber model is drivers that want to transport people and can demonstrate they have the right credential, which in the case of the commercial market is they have to have a car, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a willingness to sort of abide by the, the, the Uber standards of working with them can participate in a direct sort of fee for service provided model. So they're not salaried, they're just sort of driving around, uh, waiting to get called, they get called, they pick up a passenger, they drop them off. So it's, it's ride-sharing to its sort of maximum form of flexibility. I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong in this assumption, that some of that flexibility is got to conform to some set of rules when you get into medical transportation. Is that true? Yeah, so, so again, there's a breakdown. So for anybody who is managed, right, whether that's a Medicare Advantage member who's in an at-risk model, maybe that's an ACO, you know, maybe that's, that's a primary care organization that's taken on risk, or it's a Medicaid member who's in a managed capacity, Uber is a great option. It's completely allowable. It's very efficient. It's very high quality. And so, that, you know, that's a great space to be. Commercial lives, as you said, Uber already operates there. Um, and, and this is really just an extension of that. So there's actually a ton of opportunity in this space right. um, for Uber. It's it's not limited to you know what has traditionally been just Medicaid fee for service mm-hmm. state sponsored rides. Yeah, so I was thinking. So it, it, the way I guess I would think about it is there would be just a traditional ride home from the hospital or the nursing home where the patient and maybe a caregiver that would attend them would be perfectly capable of putting them to sort of a normal car, right? Just a normal everyday Uber vehicle, Uber X, Uber whatever. And then there's the other side where maybe that person is wheelchair bound or they're disabled in in some way where there would have to be a specialty form of transportation for that person. And I'm assuming that your job is to figure out what type of ride they need. Is that, is that part of part of the service that exactly you're yeah so it's this it's this matching and really why we think of ourselves as a transportation exchange mm-hmm. um so we do a lot up front to figure out what type of vehicle does the person need what type of preparation should they be given what type of preparation should the uber driver be given and then we match that ride request with the right uh, type of vehicle, whether that's an Uber vehicle um, or some others uh, that we're bringing into the platform, as well as making sure that we appropriately give the support to the Uber driver and also to the rider to make that a successful ride. 
Um, so that that is that's a large part of the platform, and I think really important for this space, right? Because healthcare affects everybody. It affects seniors. It affects children. It affects healthy people, you know, as well as these higher acuity and and their level of sophistication and level of comfort with technology varies greatly. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot to make sure they're prepared for these rides, they have the right type of vehicle, but also that we can enable someone, um, you know, who may be a senior sitting in their apartment with just a landline to take advantage of these benefits as well. Very cool. And I'm assuming then that, you know, as you sort of, that part of the value proposition is that you will help the member submit a claim or get reimbursed so that it doesn't come out of pocket on their end. Is that, is that the, so do you, you get either their insurance or if it's Medicaid, Medicare, their ID numbers and so forth, and you're able to get that, that reimbursed as part of their policies? Yeah, so we enable all forms um, of back-end billing, whether that's, a hospital who's decided to sponsor the ride for the patient, um, whether there's some sort of sharing in the cost that's going on, right? The patient has a small copay, uh, for example, whether that's a fully reimbursed ride from Medicare or Medicaid. Uh, we're agnostic to that, really. Um, we manage everything on the backside and just just try to make it fit um, with somebody's current workflow and do that as easily and seamlessly as possible. Very cool. So do you operate inside of the Uber app? Are you using a separate way of, of, of access? I'm assuming the, 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 the big advantage of working with Uber is, let's face it, they've sort of conquered the dispatch process and the reimbursement process and the, the driver relations and customer relations process. Your expertise that you're bringing up to the table is your healthcare knowledge and, and how to deal with the, the sources of reimbursement in the healthcare system and the type of vehicles that will be required for the different type of patients. But are you operating inside of their application or are you importing their application into yours? How are, how are you combining your technologies? Yeah, so right now our technology sits with a discharge nurse uh, or another transportation coordinator mm-hmm. who is booking the ride on behalf of a patient. So we are not inside the Uber app. Um, It it doesn't make sense for that workflow. It's a separate application. Sometimes it's embedded within the hospital system workflow. But it's an application that a discharge nurse uh, or somebody else on site at a hospital opens up. Uh, There's a bunch of fields that are automatically pre-populated about that member. There's an understanding of their eligibility and their ride authorization and then that facilitates the booking of the ride. And we uh, integrate with Uber's API. You're, I know you're very tech-savvy. Probably your listeners are very tech-savvy. <laughs> but that's, that's a fancy way to say that we tie in directly to their scheduling and logistics system so that we can book an Uber ride. Uh, we can do that on demand. We can do it at any point in the future um, and do that seamlessly within our application. And then ultimately that service gets delivered. Very interesting. Very, so everybody used to come to me as a venture capitalist and say, I've found the Uber of healthcare, right? And they <laughs> yeah. describe something right. else. This is different. So maybe this really is like the Uber of healthcare. How big, how big is this market? I've never actually thought to calculate how big this market is. Roughly, do you know? how Today, I'm sure you'll expand the market through this convenience factor, but, but how big is it today? 
Yeah, so our, our conservative estimates are about $6 billion annually. Mm-hmm. We know that at least $3 billion is spent on this traditional Medicaid transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, we know, again, v- very conservatively, there's another about $2 billion that's yep. spent in terms of rides for Medicare Advantage members um, or other managed entities. And then there's about another billion uh, that's spent in the clinical trial space. Hey everybody, Tom here. I just want to take this quick break to uh, remind you to sign up for the Breaking Health newsletter. Just go to uh, healthag.com, again, the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Sign up for the Breaking Health newsletter. We'll send you our own original written content, our uh, great podcasts, the Breaking Health podcasts, and video from our events and other events in healthcare. So go to healthag.com, just give us your email address, and we will put the Breaking Health newsletter in your inbox magically overnight uh, every Sunday. So thanks again for listening to this podcast. Let's get back to the conversation with Robin Heffernan of Circulation. That all, that all hangs together in my mind. And, and I'm sure, like, I, I'm just thinking about, so I'll give you a market, uh, mm-hmm. newborns, right? I, yeah. I, and the only reason why this market's so near and dear to me is because I had a couple of kids in the last four years. And I'm just thinking of my, and of course I live in, in, in New York City. And yeah, I took the car and the car seat and everything to get, to bring my kid home. But if you had a vehicle that had that, that, equipped it would sure be a lot easier to just pick the family up and take them home and i'm i'm sure that that's coming as part of it now i know you can have car seats in an uber for uh for kids but i don't know about any about the newborn market so i'm sure as you begin to sort of play this out people will begin to by extension think of other ways in which this uh, this will apply to to the healthcare services yeah i would say this you know this is already happening um I think most people are familiar with UberX, Uber XL being the larger SUV vehicle, uh, Uber Black as the luxury vehicle. But Uber also has a number of other categories. So they have Uber Wave, which is their wheelchair accessible vehicles. Mm-hmm. They have Uber Assist, where the drivers have consistently high ratings and have undergone additional training specifically to deal with seniors uh, or people with limited mobility. Those drivers actually do a number of door-to-door services rather than just curb-to-curb. Uber has Uber car seat in geographies. That I will admit that car seat is generally uh, not for a newborn, right. but for a little older kid. Yep. Uh, there's Uber Espanol, which is entirely Spanish-speaking drivers. So, so a lot of that is happening, and and you know we work pretty closely with them to figure out where the right um, geographies to really try to boost up those categories and recruit drivers into them because there's a huge demand for it. Do you, do you think this is not only sort of a replacement market where you're replacing things that are going on and then, of course, a natural expansion as people recognize the convenience, but are you off, are, are you, do you believe you'll be saving money for, the, for the, whoever is on the hook to, 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 to pay for these services? Will you be able to deliver these services at a lower cost than they're currently being delivered? We do. We do already, actually. Um, So an Uber ride is generally 50% uh, the cost of a taxi, if not greater savings. Mm. And the majority, well, really, what's been going on historically and traditionally is taxi rides. Uh, Any 
any ride where it's considered ambulatory or, or someone is able to go in a regular taxi vehicle is being serviced by these traditional brokers with taxis. So automatically when we come in and we're able to divert a taxi ride to an Uber ride, that's a large savings mm-hmm. uh, for our clients. It's, a, it's also at the same time improving access to some areas where these traditional brokers you know, have very limited coverage in terms of rides. It's giving patients and providers a whole new world in terms of on-demand scheduling and ride fulfillment. And, and I must say we've been really pleased so far that we've gotten positive feedback from everybody using the system, and that, and that means a lot to us. We ask the transportation coordinators, we ask the riders, we ask the Uber drivers um, for feedback after every single ride. And, and there are a lot of Uber drivers who, you know, they're helping seniors come out of their apartment, come down, get into the Uber car, go to their appointment. They, again, help them to the door of that appointment, and they rate the ride a five. And they're, they're just personally satisfied to be able to deliver that service. Incredible. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So it uh, feels to me like from, from an execution point of view, you've got a lot of, a, a lot of logistic things that you've got to work through. You've got a lot of markets that you've got to go after um, and some marketing to do to sort of educate the marketplace that the service is available. So, so far, where, where are you up and running? So, fo- so far, we've announced our launch with three hospital systems. Uh, Boston Children's Hospital here in Boston, mm-hmm. Nemours Hospital in Delaware, and then some select Mercy facilities in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. We have our next round of press uh, scheduled for early December, where you'll see somewhere between five and ten uh, additional states um, and many cities being added uh, to our mix. So it's, we're excited about that. We're not. It's one of those businesses where you're not limited um, by geography in terms of scaling up because of that relationship with Uber and their amazing both national and international right. coverage. Unless you want to go to Austin, Texas, from what I understand, you have a problem there, but otherwise you're okay. There are very few select cities. <laughs> um, yes, and, and as I said in the beginning, so our solution to that, um, as well as you know some other um, things that we're working through is we're creating an exchange. So we're already bringing some other local wheelchair cab companies um, into the mix. We're bringing some ambulances into the mix to fulfill those non-emergency ambulance rides. There are some health systems who have their own branded fleet of vehicles um, for many good reasons. And so we bring them into the platform to really try to create this one-stop shop for transportation management. We, we think of ourselves as creating a new category, just like there's pharmacy benefit management in PBMs, there's radiology benefit management uh, for radiology. There, there really is a new category to get created around transportation benefit management. And, and in some sense, you know, we're agnostic to the ride provider. Right, right. Well, that's, gr- that's great. Thank you for your story. I mean, so you're really just getting started, it sounds like. And so you're building, you're building this company and based on your background, it feels like this is, uh, this is your thing, right? Get in there and build a company. So I love this stage. I really do. <laughs> yeah. 
And so, listen, I can't let you off the hook on this, all right? You've got to give us some of the secrets before we close out on, on how to build a company, how to do it the right way. I don't know that there's a formula, right, because everything is different, but there's got to be an ideology to it, right? So tell me, tell me how you go about building a company and what you think about when you, uh, when you sort of step, step, on the, step on the ground and say, okay, we're going to build this thing. What, what goes through your mind? Yeah, this is a good one. There, there definitely is no formula, um, and this is my third time. And I, I've done businesses where we were creating entirely new markets. Uh, this is one where there's a lot of pent up market demand, and and so it's really around the execution and the, you know, and and the uh, implementation of it. I've done businesses that have been VC funded um, and those that have been entirely self-funded. So I think that runs the spectrum. Um, for me, there are two things that are really constant. And one of those is I like to solve large market problems. Uh, this is one where, you know, healthcare is still about 20% of our GDP. Yeah. And a lot of healthcare spend is in the higher acuity, fragile populations, these are the members who have a lot of appointments um, and they need to get to those appointments or they need to get somebody out to their home to deliver services because they can't get into those appointments. And so if you can do that in a way that, that, you know, that improves all stakeholders, uh, it's a huge win. So that, that's the first piece for me is it, it needs to solve a big problem um, and really make a dent. Uh, and then the second is, is team, but you mm -hmm. probably feel the same as a venture capitalist. Yeah. The business that you start with is never the business you end with. Right. Um, and so the, the, one of the most important things is, do you have the right set of people to navigate and think about that and, and challenge each other and have fun with each other uh, and really enjoy what you're doing as you're trying to solve some really big and important problems? Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing that I, I, observation I would make, and maybe you've got a comment on this, is that uh, the hardest thing in, a, in, a, in getting a company going is the human resources element of it, right? So usually you know or have worked with maybe bef before maybe the first three or four people in the company. And, and, then, and then after that, below which often is where the work is really getting done in terms of getting things accomplished, you've got to try to find people uh, that want to be in that environment with you. Um, first, do you agree with that comment? And if you do, what's the secret to finding that sort of second set of people to, to come into the startup? Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, I do think it gets a little bit bigger than three to four people, you know, if you're, if you're sort of moving that core team um, mm -hmm. from one startup to another. Maybe for us it's seven or eight by this point. Um, People we know, we love, we trust, we want right. to work with again and again and again. Uh, but then... But those guys get more equity it. each time they do it with you, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> you do have to incentivize everyone, yes. Um, though fundamentally, I, I believe that anyway. We give everybody stock sure. uh, in our company, and I, I think that's just a good practice. But but finding that next set is critical. Um, and I, And I do think you get a little bit better each time um, assessing new talent and, and figuring out what does somebody look like culturally that's going to be a great match, 
what is the right skill set, you know, not only for this problem, but also for this stage, right? If you're in the zero to 15 people or sometimes even up to 20, 25, that's very different than you're going from 40 people to 80 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you know, we, I try to rely on our networks um, and, you know, make sure that, that, that people understand uh, we're looking for good people. This is exactly the, the type of people that we're looking for. Um, and then the other piece we do is, is we make bets on great people. So we may run into someone, just really love them, think they're great, not have an exact type of role for them in the company at that point in time, but we still try to get them involved in some capacity, uh, knowing that that probably pays dividends down the road. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I uh, just, just in what I do, I find the HR component or the recruitment component or the team building component to be the most mysterious part of business. So I'm always sort of, sort of trying to read up on it, trying to figure it out uh, so that I can help myself do it better and sort of help uh, any of the entrepreneurs that I, that I know do it better. But the, uh, I'm curious to your, your response to the following comment. You, you really, in a startup, have to have a high degree of what I would describe as emotional intelligence, the ability to really accept the fact that your job's not going to be you know, handed to you in a very specific way, that you're going to have to figure out your way uh, and work with other people. And you've got to also sort of have this uh, ability to scale up and scale down, right? You've got to be able to do sort of the big picture stuff, and you've got to be able to go do the work. Do you agree with that statement, or are there, are there other things that you think are important uh, for the people that you look to hire? I, I think those are both hugely important, and yeah, I 100% agree with both of those. I think if there's anything else I might add to it is there is a, a little bit of sense that I get now from, from some of the folks just graduating from schools, particularly schools in the U.S., uh, that, that your job is, is during the week. Uh, and your job is not on the weekend, and and I don't actually fundamentally understand that <laughs> because <laughs> it's never been the case for me, um, yeah. nor anybody yeah. that I work with that gets really excited about something. So, so we try to find people where you know it, it is something that they love, um, and if it takes a lot of time, it's okay, right? We we do a lot of work on the other side to make sure that people get breaks and they're well treated and and there's strong benefits, but it's not something where you think about it as your job and you put it away um, and don't deal with it at certain points in time. Right. Um, and and I think that, to be honest, sometimes that's a little bit better. Uh, we found in terms of of international. Uh, talent versus the U.S. So I, I don't, I don't know, you know, what you've experienced, and certainly there are exceptions on both sides. But we found that there's just sort of an amazing drive, an amazing independence, um, an ability to to grasp the big and the small, and also a curiosity to always learn more um, from students who have immigrated, uh, who are on H-1B visas, or you know, I, no, I no. don't know. So that. No. That's my own personal experience. <laughs> well, no, and I think there's a lot of activity actually in the venture community to to loosen up the ability to hire those people, probably for the for those exact reasons, right? And um, 
Yeah, I think I would agree with that statement. I would also say, though, I am seeing an interesting phenomenon, at least in the millennial generation, maybe not those coming right out of college now, but maybe those that have been out for four, five, six years, where, and, and I'm thinking about the techies, right, the, the programmers, mm-hmm. the software architects, et cetera, computer scientists, where I think that in the beginning, or say the end of the, the aughts, maybe six, seven years ago, it was, you know, let, let me go do these Facebooks, these social networks, these apps and stuff like that. And I am getting the sense that they want to come over to sort of our side of the equation and start solving this healthcare problem, which is exciting for me. Um, yeah. that they're that they're feeling a little bit more mission driven in in their life, um, which you know if you remember, bringing in great technology talent into healthcare has always been a challenge. I'm seeing that it still is, but it's probably not as big a challenge as it used to be. Um, I think that is true. It's it is still a challenge for us. I will say, um, you know, a lot of what we do is development, and and we're always looking for talented engineers. It's yep. hard. It's very competitive in Boston. It is. Um, and we have some operations over in San Fran, and it, it's equally competitive there. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, despite the fact that you have all these wonderful schools that, that, are, uh, that are around the Boston area and San Fran, it's a, good, it's a good high-paying job these days if you can, uh, if you can do it in, in software It programs. is, yeah. Well, listen, I've loved talking to you. I think this is cool. I love what you're doing, and I'm going to be following you. Of course, I, I know your friends over at Flair Capital, right? They just provided you with your, uh, was it your Series A? Is that, is that what you just closed on? We just closed a seed with them. That's yeah, cool. it was great. So, uh, you know, working at Flybridge, I worked with Michael Greeley, who's yeah. now a partner at Flair. I know Bill Geary very well um, as well. And, and and this was a great match because this was truly a place where we could take some money, we could have the benefits uh, of more resources and capital, but they also have an investor base themselves that are all of our clients. Right. Um, and so there, there was a real synergy all around, which was great. They also have to be pretty good guys over there. They're nice guys to work with. They are very good guys, <laughs> yes. Uh, and it doesn't hurt that they've, you know, their fund now is completely healthcare focused. And actually, I think that's critical right now. There are still some VC firms that that try to you know do healthcare as, as well as many other markets, and and healthcare is just so sophisticated, and there are so many nuances that I think it's hard to to do them both and do them well. So Flair does an excellent job. Two hundred fifty million dollar fund solely focused on healthcare technology. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for joining me, Robin. Uh, last question, which is basically how can people learn more about you and your company? Do you have a Twitter handle, website, Facebook address, any of that yeah. stuff you want to share? Yep. So we have Twitter accounts. We have Facebook accounts. We have LinkedIn accounts. Uh, we have our circulation.co website as well. And love for people uh, who are interested to express interest on any of those. And for those who want a demo, there's actually a place on our webpage uh, to request a demo. Terrific. Well, Robin Heffernan from the CEO of Circulation, uh, thank you for joining me. And uh, we'll be keeping track of you and seeing how you do. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. All right. This was great. Thank you, Steve. Take care. Well, there you go. That's a wrap. Steve Krupa, great job. Thanks for leading this great conversation. And Robin Heffernan of Circulation, you are a fantastic guest. 
I love the story. Uh, I'm sure it's going to do a lot of good in healthcare, and we look forward to hearing more about it. Thanks to our listeners for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. It's great to have you here. If you liked what you hear, uh, do give us a ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you're using. Give us a comment. And if you're not subscribing, please do subscribe so you can get every great episode of the Breaking Health Podcast. And uh, if you want to see the panel presentations from our Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which took place on November 2nd in Boston, shoot me an email. I'm Tom, tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy is spelled like the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y and then dot com. Shoot me an email, let me know, and I'll add you to the list of uh, folks who will receive the links to the panel presentations from the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Thank you again for uh, for listening. We're going to take next week off for the Thanksgiving holiday, but uh, tune in the week after that for another great tale of innovation on the Breaking Health Podcast.